Howdy y'all, this is Michael Hawk, Green Beret combat veteran and TV personality. You're listening to The Statement Show with Zach and Terry, so get ready to make a statement. From the Night Shift Crew Studios in the D.C. metro area, this is The Statement Show. The lights are on. I'm Jim Harold from the Paranormal Podcast, but there's nothing to be afraid of because you're listening to the Statement Show Zach and Terry. Hey guys, it's Ivonica Gabba of Macabre Theater, and you're listening to Terry and Zach on The Statement Show. Hey, this is your lizard, Kira Kurt Angle, and you're listening to The Statement Show with Zach and Terry. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Hi, this is Lillian Garcia from the WWE, and you're listening to The Statement Show with Zach and Terry. Welcome back to another edition of The Statement Show. I'm Terry James. And I'm Zach Chahey. And you're listening to the podcast that fits in no category. Tonight, we have Michael Hawk, military officer, combat veteran, survival teacher, as well as TV personality, and the envy of every zombie apocalypse dream team. Welcome, Michael, to The Statement Show. <laughs> and yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Wax him <laughs> I mean, you heard this man's intro. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you, Mike. When we heard your intro, I have an instant man crush on you now. You are <laughs> ridiculous, man. Oh, my goodness. Just say it one time for me. Yo, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the things I, I kind of liked when you guys hit me up because, you know, the statement show doesn't, you know, fit any category. It's kind of mm-hmm. like that's kind of like it describes my life. I kind of do so many things I don't really fit in any one category. So I'm like, man, this is the will of Allah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when when you look at your your uh, your bio and you have like five thousand different things that you're that you're doing, I, it's probably true you don't fit into one category because what author, combat veteran, a billion TV show, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my goodness, man! You you have a, a thousand different things that you got going on, man. That's that's amazing. It, it was wasn't ever a, a plan, guys. I, I would like to say I was that smart, but I'm not. It's just one of those things where I just, I like learning and I kept getting opportunities and looking for opportunities. And when they presented, I, I jumped on it and was able to make it through different things. And it's like, wow, man, you know, now I'm old and crusty and wearing diapers. I'm a little walker. It's like, man, I, I did some things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because for our audience who, who may not be exactly 100% familiar with you, uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. How you know? Actually, before you became the certifiable badass that you are right now, before the silver hair, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I dig it, man. I love it. You know, Gandalf the White. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, long story short, I was just uh, you know, punk kid like like a lot of us when we were little, and you know, um, we were pretty poor, and uh, you know, we ended up getting in some gang stuff because you know those were the only kids that ha- would hang around me. I was a chess club guy, but also honor roll student, but also leader of a gang and, um, you know, got shot and stabbed before I ever joined the army and got some friends, went to jail for murder and got murdered and figured, man, I got to get educated, get out of this. And so the army was the only way I joined the army and they just kept offering me stuff. And I was like, okay, I'll try. And okay, I'll try. And before you know it, I had done, you know, special forces, medic, communications, intelligence, multiple languages, you know, uh, 9-11 9-11 came around, did all the officer stuff and did that. So I started in 82, retired in, in 2011, um, had a, you know, a whole bunch of jobs in the military, did a whole bunch of conflicts, some as a contractor like uh, Iraq and Azerbaijan, Sierra Leone, Colombia, Haiti, then did you know some tours in uh, El Salvador, Turkey, Afghanistan as a soldier. So 
ended up just kind of getting a lot of stuff done and and I've always wanted to learn and I I love teaching so the more I learn the more I get to teach and just keep you know passing the knowledge on this one day I'm going to be pushing up daisies and if uh if I can leave a couple people behind a little better off then I consider uh my time and uh life well spent very true Hey, but but let me back that up to the very beginning, real quick. Chess club. That's one hell of a, a tough uh, gang. You, hold on. you were you were in a chess club and a gang at the same time, or was this, or or did you start a gang because you were in the well, chess yeah, club? Yeah, and to How be does... clear, the chess club wasn't the gang, right? Because that's <laughs> uh, no, they didn't get their ass whooped. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's just one of those things because I, you know, I I can't claim any credit for. It. I mean, it came from my parents, but I guess I was, uh, uh, got a little bit of smarts, and so you know, I was a straight A student. I used to. Uh, Right. I actually won awards for the whole school for writing and teachers that asked me to go to the lower grades and read stories I wrote. Um, but also because we were poor, man. I mean, dude, I, you know, I had one pair of pants I, I washed in the shower at night and hope they were dry by morning to wear the next day. So the, the jock kids wouldn't hang out with me. The uh, the preppy kids wouldn't hang out with me. The only people that hang out with me were the dope smokers. And I didn't smoke dope. So uh, I just hung out with them because. They, you know, when you're a kid, you just want to be accepted. So I grew my hair long. Like, believe it or not, I actually had hair down in my ass. <laughs> 14, you know, and um, and I just saw these guys smoking dope. And, and I'm going to go ahead and confess right now because I think the statute of limitations is over. But you know, I organized and said, dude, if you're going to sell it, let's do it with some panache. So we started buying like American flag and dollar bill rolling paper and rolling machines. So they get a little bit more for their dollar when they were buying their doobie. And before you know, it, we cornered the market on on sales and. And I, we were able to actually start like buying clothes and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I was a gang leader and a chess club guy. Weird, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's not the combo I would have put on it. Well, though, check this out. This, this is fun. This is all true story. Um, so I got in trouble one time and got sent to the principal's office. And I told my friends to make a d- diversion, and they did. So the principal had to leave. And I got to raid his uh, little files. And I, I read the file on the alarm system for the school. And so uh, I devised this plan where basically we can uh, – Climb up on top of the roof with ropes, no kidding, take uh, tools and take the sun, you know, the sky roof off and then hell down into the school. And then if we walked along the hallways, because it was a sonar alarm, the uh, alarms would not go off uh, for it had 18 inch clearance on each side of the wall. But if you walked in the middle of the hallway, it would set off the sonar. So we just walked around the halls, robbed all the candy machines and all the other stuff. And uh, we scored big time, and it was all you know. When I look back, it's like, man, that was like a proper commando operation. Oh my for god! A Fort Hill. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're excited. You were doing special ops before you even knew it. Yeah. yeah. So now that I'm old and I've retired, and I'm I'm like looking at these sergeant majors, and I'm like, son, you even old enough to be serving? And they're like, sir, I've been in for years. I'm like, oh right, right. So uh, I I just realized that yeah, you know, now that I look back, I kind of have always been what I became. This just gave me better training at it. When you got in the military, is this something that you decide to go for, or do they pick you out of a group? And oh, uh, well, it's a little bit of both, fellas. It's a little bit of both. Okay. Um. So like I said, I just wanted to get money for college. So mm-hmm. I joined the army. As a radio operator, um, but I got a couple of different skills in radios. I went to jump school. I made my sergeant early. Um, and so special forces came recruiting me. Um, I didn't know a damn thing about them. I was like, you know, what are those guys? You know, so I read a couple of books and they changed my life. I said, man, this this is who I want to be. This is what I want to become. And so I said, yeah, I'll sign up. And I gave it a try. And, you know, out of 63 guys, only three guys made it on the first pass. And to my right was this perfect specimen of a human. I mean, he'd never break a sweat while running 100 miles an hour, just smiling. Mm-hmm. And the other guy was the most ugly guy in the world. It's like, I don't even know what happened to him. And there I was in the middle of these two guys. And I guess that represented a full spectrum of 
what special forces is compared to all the other guys. It's like, there's no mold, but it's, it's a heart and mind thing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that, that began my journey guys. And after that, you know, they just kept offering me stuff and I kept taking it. Now, is this after nine 11 or pre nine 11? Oh no, man. You're talking 1982 fellas. Wow. wow. <laughs> See, you didn't look yeah. that old. <laughs> no, say, man, and off the white, you know? So, um, so yeah, no, I went back in when nine 11 happened, guys, I was 35 years old, a single father, I had two teenage sons. I was working for ABC as a producer, living in LA, making fat daddy coin. Um, they gave me my own office that, uh, you know, and they gave me my own manservant. They put whatever I want for furniture and food in the fridge. It was pretty crazy. And I had, you know, I had the choice to, if you got a producer card in, in LA, you don't even have to talk, man. The girls would just throw your panties at you. Um, their panties at you. So, you know, I had two boys, so I spent my weekends going out camping with them, and uh, that was my choice. And so, yeah, I was living pretty large when 9-11 happened. I went, uh, got mobilized, um, and then I, they sent me to every damn officer course in the world. No kidding. I went to everything I needed all the way up to, like, lieutenant colonel level, because basically they were trying to flunk me out. So I, I wasn't ranger qualified. I was a medical officer. I was a national guard officer, and I was gray-haired, and they hated my guts. And... uh I just kept getting uh, honor grad on everything. So finally, they said, okay, we'll let you go to war. And they finally sent hmm. some button and came on. So I did all the officer stuff as an old crusty guy, 35 years old. I, you know, obviously, I know you. I, I've came familiar with your personality when I was watching Discovery Channel and your TV show, which mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you, after your show it, it stopped airing, I, I'd lost a lot of interest in some of them, you know, because they all kind of run their course. But yours is the only one that held an interest and it was cool to watch because I could watch it with my wife because there was yeah. an aspect there for her. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and that was a big thing, you know, so I created that show, guys, and I created One Man Army and I created Naked, Naked and Afraid and a few other things. So I you created Naked and Afraid. You really did you really? Yes, yes, yes. That's a long story that's going to be public before too long. But um, yeah, the the company that uh, made Man, Woman, Wild and One Man Army took those from me as well as Discovery. And then they took that show because I, I wanted to take people out naked and show that we as humans, the weakest physical animal out there with just our six inches of mush between our ears could go out and dominate the terrain. And so uh, when I left them because of uh, principles because they were dirty liars and thieves, <laughs> they, uh, they decided to take it and mix it with um, the cute girls, you know, because half of those kids are not survival people. They just want to be on TV people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so they just, you know, guys are always going to watch naked, you know, chicks. So of pretty, course, you got to hit right there. And you, what you get some survival on top of it or just watch people suffer because they don't know survival. It's a win all the way around. Anyway. Um, so yeah, the, the thing about the man, woman, wild that resonated was, you know, everybody's got a significant other. I don't care if you're old, young, smart, stupid, rich, poor, gay, straight, everybody's got somebody else to care about. So it all comes down to how would it roll if you got stuck in a pinch with that person that you care the most about? And I think that's what resonated with pretty much everybody. And it has the real deal. I mean, how Ruth and I are out in the bush, that's how we are at Fort Living Room too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you uh, th- well, even with that show, I'm going to be honest with you, and, and and maybe you feel completely different with, about this than I do. But the one thing with Man, Woman, Wild was your wife seems like a complete badass, just like you. But when I first started watching it, I I got the feeling like they were sort of I don't know, like kind of like her making frail. her see. Yeah. yeah, they made her seem like she didn't like she didn't know anything. I mean, was that was that true? If my wife were here right now, she would say she loves you. Because they absolutely asked her to act like that 
so that they can make her look weak and then build her up over the series. Really? It was so bad that her own mother and father, who's a, 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 you know, what they call a headmaster, a a principal and a teacher in in the UK, um, her own parents were embarrassed because that was not their daughter. She is very tough. I mean, you know, I always say, you know, strong man marries a strong woman. And so, uh, yeah, Ruth was very hurt about how they asked her to act and how they cut out a lot of really cool, tough, badass shit she did and edited it exactly as you said to make her look weak. Um, so we felt that was pretty unfair and unjust of them. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, network tells you what they're going to edit mm-hmm. when you can mm-hmm. stop. And I have to ask, my daughter pressured me to ask this question. I'm curious, too. There was a spot on one so of the, the What's that? Answer is, if she pressured you, say the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead. No, it was the spot where your wife was dehydrated, the one episode, and it looked like they were going to pull her out because she uh, was getting sick. And even my wife was telling me, he's like, why would they keep going if she's that bad? You know, well, no. No, listen, fellas, this, there's a story there. And, and so you guys are just nailing all the good stuff. So um, I'm going to tell people what you do in your day job. See, um, <laughs> so, so the real deal is this. OK, that was the very first man, woman, wild episode we made. And those guys are so used to shitting on talent. They just couldn't get their head around the fact that, hey, guys, I'm a real Green Beret combat veteran officer and survival instructor long before you guys ever came to the picture. But they they didn't believe me. I said, look, guys, if we want to film in the desert, we need to film during full moon. So we got good illumination because we can't work in the daytime. You can only work at night and you can only work at dawn and dusk. And they said, oh, no, it's not possible. Can't be done. So they forced us to work in the middle of the day against our wishes. And, you know, no kidding. I mean, I had that first round of urine. I had to go. I'm like, I'm not going to waste it. It took me forever to carve that little bowl out, feed in the thing. And shockingly, it actually did taste good. Um, but it, we we drank it. Now, that is not what got Ruth sick. Ruth started to go into heat stroke because they were making a stand on mountaintops and get all this, this what they call B-roll footage, you know, the background and mm-hmm. our feet walking and all that. And so they ran us to the ground. I, it was not what I would have done if I were trying to survive. I was making a TV show for them. It was my first episode working with them. So long story short, Ruth went into heat stroke and she started to crash and burn and they were not going to send in the medic. And so I grabbed the cameraman by the throat, looked down the camera because they were like off in the distance watching on a little remote viewer. And I said, if my wife does not leave this desert, I promise you, none of you will. So send the fucking medic now. That's when they broke all tradition and they sent the medic in. And the medic is a Green Beret, special forces medic, paramedic. He's a good brother of mine. He's a sergeant major, airborne ranger, halo scuba, everything guy. And he brought her back around. But since that day, her hypothalamus has been recalibrated. So now she goes into heat stroke um, very easily ever since that. So they damaged her permanently by not listening to their expert. And subsequently after that, they started paying more attention. Why do you think that they didn't want to listen? Did they, did they, did they feel like threatened by you or did they just have, did they have that mentality of like, you know, I know, and you don't, you know, how, how would they possibly? Well, remember they do reality TV and the guys, the name of the company is Renegade 83 and it's uh, Jay Renfro and uh, Dave, I'll think of his name in just a darn stinking second. But anyway, Garfinkel. And those two guys, in my opinion, 
are spoiled little rich LA guys. And one of them, you know, he's an older guy, like 50 years old, lives with his mama, never been married, no kids. And the other guy's got, you know, a nice Mexican wife and kids. And basically they only made trash TV until I came along. In my opinion, trash TV, uh, you know, the bad dating shows with D list celebrities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, and the biggest claim to fame before I came along was one guy was a cameraman for Lifestyles of Rich and Famous. Their opinion was they were producers and we were just reality fodder for them to tell us what to do. And it wasn't until the reality of the situation hit them. I was like, guys, this type of show is teaching life and death, potentially life and death saving techniques. And it comes with a life and death risk factor when you do them. So um, they finally started paying attention, but they, they never quite got it. I mean, they're both city boys. I don't think they ever even went camping, you know, so that's that's why they act. Well, yeah, I mean, that seems like that would really have to piss you off, though, knowing that you wanted to get into this show and really teach people how to do things and show them exactly what's going on. And then you have these other guys sitting around telling you, no, 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 we're not going to film this way. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do it that way. I, I couldn't imagine that you just wouldn't have finally just. Like you said, wanted to choke somebody to death. That, that, oh. I mean, there's, 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 there's pros and cons to that. Um, because in, in some ways, I was still new-ish to TV, mm-hmm. um, particularly in terms of making an entire uh, season with a story arc. Um, so there, I was trying to acquiesce as much as I could and, and accept that, okay, there's things I don't know. Let me sit back and watch and learn. I mean, that's a Green Beret thing. It's like, you know, we're jack of all trades, master of none. We we realize when we don't know something, we got to learn. So, um, but yeah, it, it was a, a constant battle with those guys because, you know, I said, look, I am a real Green Beret guy. Whatever I say, it, it has to resonate as true, both for my community and for my country. I mean, I hold myself by my own choice to that standard. So uh, it's like, I get that you got to do storytelling. I get you got to entertain. And it can't just be like a documentary instructional sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's like I have to teach sound principles. So when they'd ask me to do Bear grills type stuff, like do backflips off of cliffs, you know, <laughs> in known waters, it's like uh, pound sand, buddy. And so uh, they really, really, really didn't like that. But they couldn't get it in their head. It's like, guys, uh, I didn't set out to be on TV. I really don't give a shit about TV. It's just another way for me to teach. So I enjoy that. But outside of that. I will never violate a principle for you guys, and I'm going to stick that to my dying day. And so here we are. I was going to ask you, some of these other shows that are out there, it's like they're copycat one right after another. You know, like it's put in some cookie form. And you got Dual Survivor, you got Bear Grylls, all those types of shows. I like Bear Grylls, but there was this big incident where they said, well, he slept in a hotel at night on certain on certain days or situations. And to be honest with you, I didn't really care. I thought he was entertaining. I kind of liked him. But he did well, a doc. He did a documentary about the Foreign Legion that I really liked more so than any of the Discovery stuff. Right. Well, see, here's the thing, guys. Like, believe it or not, it, it, you know, when I when I hear people talk, it's funny to me because I I actually know everybody, <laughs> and and I don't really like people and don't really want to know anyone. So it's kind of <laughs> so. There was um, it, it's an interesting. We'll talk on him. We'll talk on Dual Survival. I mean, unless you guys got like a time hack, I'll just hell tell no. Shit. You okay. go ahead, man. Go Ten ahead. Seconds. So so Bear Grills. A lot of people don't realize his father was a very wealthy man and he went to a very privileged school. So the man who made um, Back to the Legion, which is where Bear got started, was a friend of Bear's father. Bear got on a show, which is fine. And he did great, which is fine. I mean, Bear actually did join the SAS, what they call uh, territorials, which is our equivalent of like a National Guard militia. Okay, but the difference is for the U.S. Army Special Forces, our 
National Guard soldiers have to do all the active duty schools. There's no National Guard school. It's an active duty school to earn the beret. They got to do all the active duty requirements as far as physical fitness, um, number of jumps per year, number of exams per year, retest, and all those kinds of things. So the standards are the exact same. In the UK, the SAS territorials have a completely separate uh, selection training program than the full-time guys. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the full-time guys took real umbrage uh, against Bear for claiming SAS when, eh, in a loosest term, yes, okay? But also, uh, Bear wasn't a combat vet, and he wasn't a survival expert. Um, but what he did do, he broke his back in um, a jump in Africa. He did recover. He did go on and climb Mount Everest. So, you know, he's got an honest story of being um, strong-willed and physically capable. So when he did well on Back to Legion, I mean, he was, okay, great. He, he had earned his spurs, and so he got the show doing the Survivor thing. Well, all of that stuff was scripted. All of that stuff had survival experts. They asked him to do crazy stunts. And Bear, being an athlete and adventure guy, um, he was very malleable. He would do what they'd say. He was amiable. So um, he came across uh, as the perfect combo to be friendly enough for people to want to watch, have enough of a pedigree to be credentialed to do the thing. And the biggest thing was he would do what the producers asked. And so that made for a good show. That show is all about movement. It's all about eating gross shit and doing dangerous stuff. Okay. And it's a formula. And so I give credit to Bear because he's kind of the one who kicked down the door for mainstream. Because as you had pointed out, uh, and, and this is interesting, little history here. Um, reality TV, I don't know if you guys are old enough to recall, reality TV didn't really take off until the writers strike. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Writers made a strike and like, you know, we want more money. They said, screw you. We'll just get any dumbass who's willing to let us film them for free and be on TV. And before you know it, reality became its own moneymaker. Cause here's the thing. There's no residuals. There's no royalties. I filmed somebody one time. I pay him 10 bucks. I get to rerun that 20 times, make a thousand dollars each time I rerun it. And I don't owe those guys any more money. It's a cash cow for the television industry. So, um, so when bear did all that stuff, he opened the doors for a lot of other survival people to get in. And so I give him credit for that. Now, I'm friends with Bear, and I'm friends with his friends, and I do know that, yes, indeed, they stayed in hotels, and there were a lot of other things going on there. Um, but, but there's some bad blood with the uh, primary SAS guys because Bear's kind of done some things that left them hanging. So there's there's an issue there. But on the whole, you know, Bear's a nice guy. I give mm -hmm. him full credit for, that, for doing, you know, cool stuff. So uh, when you get to um, – who else did you guys mention? Dual survival. Oh, I, I was a fan of the original. I like Cody Lundin. Uh, I just liked his attitude, but who knows what you're really seeing. I know what he put on his mm -hmm. website and how he had a major breakdown or disagreement with, it seemed like, the whole production company. That he no, didn't no, agree with. No, Cody, listen, this gets back to, to me and my wife, okay? So the very, very first dual survival uh, that they were casting um, I was actually selected to be on the show with Cody. Okay. okay? They, I was uh, living in London. Uh, my book had just come out. Um, they wanted me to, Discovery wanted to fly me. I, I had already done uh, Science of Survival in 2006, and I had already done um, Out of the Wild Alaska, the whole series as the host in 2008. So Discovery wanted me to be the military guy to go up against Cody. So they wanted to have what they call chem test, you know, chemistry. See how you click on, on camera. Sure. And so uh, they were doing this in uh, Colorado with, you know, about five or six other military guys. Um, Dave Canterbury being one of them. Uh, Rudy Reyes being another one of them. So I said, hey, guys, I can't because I'm, I'm 
going to uh, New York to do Good Morning America for ABC. And so they changed the whole chemistry test to, to be filmed in the Catskills of New York. And I went out there and I, I got to meet Cody and, and Cody's a pompous ass. Don't get me wrong. And he uses a lot of big words because most survival guys, they're kind of dumb. So, uh, but you know, Cody and I got on well and I smoked him. I could tell he had not been in that environment before, but I knew it, you know, backwards and forwards. So, you know, I smoked it and they said, yeah, you got the job. But at the same time, my wife and I had just made a, a sizzle, which is like a, like a three minute pitch of her and I doing survival together. Um, and discovery said, Oh no, 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 we'll take you with, with the wife. And that's when Dave got job to be with Cody. So, um, whereas Dave was a good survivalist, I was kind of disappointed that he felt the need to fib, but you know, that's a whole nother thing. But yeah, Cody, what you see with Cody is what you get. And he did not have an issue with the, the network, um, or the production. He had an issue with Joe Tetai. Joe Tetai was threatening to kill him, threatening to kill members of the crew and their family. Okay, mm -hmm. this is documented. Um, there's there were medics on the set that are special forces medics that work for the U.S. Embassy in Iraq right now. So they are vetted and venerated, and they've made sworn statements that yes, I heard with my own ears. Joe Tetai threatened to kill the crew and their families if they did not do what he demanded. And so Cody was writing the network saying, guys. He's threatening to kill me. He's threatening to kill the crew. What, what are you doing? Whatever crazy reason, Discovery stuck with Joe, stuck with Joe, and they edited that to make Cody look bad so they could get rid of him um, because they knew they had to play to the public. And that's why it looked like Cody had a problem with everybody, but it wasn't. It was Joe. That's kind of what I was getting at. It made it, I think they were trying to make it look good for themselves and why they got rid of him. And that's the part what I was what I was trying to get at. I like Cody Lundin's style more. I think everybody kind of liked that. That it looked like it had a hippie survivalist, and uh, well, he was. He, he lives it, and 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 he's good. You know, that's the thing. It's like, dude, I don't care what your attitude is. If if you got to either be really good at what you do, if you're an asshole, or if you're not very good, you better be damn nice. You know. So Cody's very good and a bit of an ass. But it, you know, <laughs> what do you think? I mean, that show they keep it's become kind of a uh, weird. They keep changing the people on the show. Oh, and I, yeah, about that, I give you the hawk daddy opinion on that. Okay. <laughs> So, um, so they got, uh, Dave Canterbury and they basically fired Dave because he made some lies. He said he was Ranger qualified and sniper qualified. And, um, frankly, I think him and Cody were uh, having a little bit of an issue. So they used it as an excuse. But the thing is, Dave was a survival guy and he was a military guy and that's what he was hired to do and hired to be. So when Discovery decided to fire him for lies that didn't have any bearing on, his skills on the show, I mean, he wasn't saying he's a ranger or a sniper on the show. He wasn't doing those skills. He was doing survival. Um, a lot of people got mad. They're like, how did you fail to vet that? Because the military records are like the easiest thing in the world to vet. So what Discovery did was they hired Tetai and they failed the same exact way back to back. They didn't check any of his military records. And he lied so much more, so much bigger. And then what happened, literally, his very first minute on TV, Joe Tetai lied. He said he had 20 years of special ops experience. It's like, no, you don't. You got eight years. It's all part-time. It's no combat. You ran away from your first unit because they were trying to kick you out. You got kicked out of your second unit, and you uh, basically quit your third unit where he met me at 9-11. Okay, so you ain't got no kind of combat. 
and he ain't got no kind of survival skills. He claimed he had 10 years of combat. He had one as a contract, and he got fired from all three of those jobs. And then he said he'd been to SEER school, Special Forces uh, equivalent of survival school. You know, it's a survival, escape, resistance, innovation. And it's considered a badass school. Most people, most tough guys cry in that school. You get your ass whooped in that school. You starve, and you have a lot of come-to-Jesus moments in that school. So it's a very respected school. And you know, I went to the school and I've been teaching survival for 20 years. So you can imagine my shock when Joe gets on there and his very first 60 seconds on TV is like, yeah, all oh, special forces required to go to serious school. And I'm like, dude, you didn't liar. And <laughs> I actually, so, I actually remember the beginning of the very first beginning of that part of the show, because there was a lot of, if I'm, if I'm wrong, correct me, but wasn't there a lot of talk of, well, a lot of my work was classified, so I can't really talk about it, that kind of stuff. He, he tried that one on for, for good measure. Yeah, we, we'll, go, we'll go down this rabbit hole as far as you guys want. Okay, so check it out. So his first minute on TV, he's lying about his, his years of experience in special ops, about his years of combat, and about his survival experience, which this is a survival show. Um, and so within three weeks of that show airing, three men died making another show for Joe Tetai called Lone Operator, named after his current business, where Joe was the host, the expert, and the producer of the show because he pitched it. It was his idea. And Discovery gave him that show based on his claims that he had 20 years in special ops and 10 years of combat. And it was eight bad years in special ops, no combat, and one year as a contractor. Fired from all three. So it's like, guys, um, so the bottom line is my, my hypothesis, if you will, is that Discovery failed back-to-back -back after Canterbury to vet Joe Tetai, thought they were getting a two-for-one with a survival guy and a combat veteran, and actually they got neither. And so his survival teachings were, in my opinion, all blowed up. And um, he got people killed in his first uh, three weeks on air, and they had to bury that because they spent $5 million making that first season of Dual Survival with Joe. They already had $50 million of ad sale revenues committed, and if the word got out that Joe was involved in a show with three deaths, they would have had to pull that whole season and lose $50 million bucks. which, by the way, they ended up uh, about a year and a half later paying four wrongful death lawsuits to the tune, it's estimated, of about $50 million bucks. And so now the hypothesis is that they continue to back Tetai because they had to recover that money and, you know, and make good uh, stock payments for their uh, investors. So um, they kept Joe despite the fact that the entire Special Forces Association kicked him out, said he was lying. And for whatever reason, Discovery Channel felt like they knew better than the real Green Berets that Joe Tetai's records were valid. So like, hey, he's given us his records. They're good to go. It's like. Um, hello, we're accusing him of lying and forging, and you're saying he told you he was good and he gave you good records. Uh, did you ever think to get the originals from the source? You know, because all you got to do is have him sign a release, and then you would see, shit, half of what he said ain't true. But anyway, so there you go. <laughs> That's on Joe Ted and, and Cody. So Cody's got a lawsuit right now for, you know, Discovery letting Joe threaten to kill him. Um, and frankly, I've got a lawsuit against Discovery for saying, guys, you failed. And here's here's my rub, okay? Um my rub is beside the fact that they literally blackballed me so I can't work on TV. I mean, I, dude, I've, I've talked to the heads of CBS, ABC, Fox, had contracts in hand, and they all said, oh, we can't work with you because of what Discovery is saying. I'm like, wow, how nice is that? 
Um, the, the Joe Tetai sued me, uh, Special Forces Sergeant Major, Special Forces Colonel, the entire Special Forces Association, and uh, was it two other, three other stolen valor sites, uh, SF posers, military phonies, and uh, some other site uh, run by a, a female writer. And um, Discovery sued all, I mean, Tetai sued all those people. And then the Special Forces General came up and said, yep, these records he submitted are forged. Those aren't my signatures. So, yep, he's a liar and a forger, and he withdrew the lawsuit. And despite all of that, Discovery renewed his his contract for the fourth time. It's like, look, I've got a protective order against this guy. All this stuff is going on. You got all this collateral damage, and they still never thought to get his original records and check them out until you ever see that uh, episode in Bolivia, the very last one that Tetai did. Be honest with you, I kind of stopped watching that show. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, me too. That, this is my long way to answer your very uh, short initial assessment what what they need <laughs> the talent so much, and here's why. Uh-huh. So it just renewed Joe's uh, contract in February of 2015, and by May of 2015, they stopped the episode in the middle. They snuck the crews out of country without letting Tetai know, and immediately Discovery issued a lock the door and call the freaking cop warning order to the North Carolina office where Tetai lives if he showed up. Now, they said, Joe Tetai is a hero. And I'm like, well, if he's a hero, how come you want to call the cops on him if he comes to pay you a visit? Hmm? Wow. You know, and they actually sent a picture with three mug shots of him left, right and front. So the security could identify him and do that. So the point here being Joe had sued me a year prior. First uh, of all, why so- would you sue somebody if the other person has facts to back up? Like you were saying with the military record thing, they have. facts. Uh, yeah, but my belief is that Joe is a pathological liar and that he's also a psychopath. That's my honest opinion. Um, and so he believes what he's saying at the time. There's other stuff that I can't say because it's all, you know, kind of privilege from sure, depth stuff. Sure, but sure, sure. point is guys, what I'm saying is I'll, I'll say to God and anybody, it's like discovery, come, come talk at me, please. You know? So, um, that said, what's, what's going on there. And this is my opinion now. Um, two things. One, I'm fighting discovery because it's like, guys, three men are dead because you failed to vet someone's records that were so easy to vet. And if you had just done that, you would have seen shit. He's lying. Let's not hire him. And if he had the experience that he claimed, he could have easily seen the problem was they put lights in the cockpit. They killed the pilot's night vision and he did a dirt dive. And that's exactly what I said. And that's exactly what the black box said on the FAA report from the NTSB. So that said, um, I believe that saved some lives if they'd just done their job right. And I'm trying to get them to next time, you know, because they sell themselves, guys. You look at a website, they say world's largest nonfiction reality network. And yet here they are selling absolute bullshit. And guess what? Now the generals come forward. Joe Tetai has withdrawn his lawsuit with prejudice. So now they know that the guy forged. They know that he lied. And they're still airing his shows and making tens of millions of dollars in profit. And some might consider that stolen valor by the network, perhaps. Mm. Okay. Hey, so really craps on all the TV shows I like <laughs> or did. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Think about, so what they did when they fired Joe, they brought on Grady Powell, another fellow I'm not too keen on, but experience, and I'll leave it at that. Um, but once they got rid of Grady, they just realized, man, the only way to really cover down him and kind of explain why we dropped Joe so quickly, because they just renewed a whole season and in the middle of season of episode four, they stopped the entire thing. And what's funny, if you watch that episode, this would be funny, go back and watch the episode of Joe Tetai and Matt Graham in Bolivia. The ending shows a, a little uh, Bolivian lady in a purple shirt up against a rock. And if you watch the same show with Joe Tetai and Cody Lundin in Bolivia two years prior, you'll see the same lady in the same purple shirt up <laughs> the same rock. Huh. Huh. I'm How sure everybody's going to be looking that up on YouTube now. <laughs> I know, right? 
out. It's awesome, man. <laughs> and and so for people who know the media business, you'll see that that shows kind of weird because it shows a lot of just their feet walking. Well, in the business, we call that B-roll. You show feet walking to to convey the sense of time passing and also to do like a scene swap swipe. So you show here we are making a fire. Here's feet walking. Now here we are getting water. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's uh-huh. how they edit it. So they basically – they didn't have a show because they had to abandon and run away from Joe, sneak out of the country. So they had to use the B-roll and the old footage from the Cody uh, episode to wrap up that thing so they could deliver an episode. So it's pretty funny. So they just started swapping out, and then they just realized we've, we've lost it. Someone had – some sponsor had hired 36 episodes in advance, so they just needed to deliver on their contract, make their money, and move out. So that's why. It was a, just another cover. The, their guy, um, French Horwitz, who hired Tetai, got fired. After he fired Cody, and then the guy who got on Christo Doyle, he also does Gold Rush, he got on his Discovery Facebook page and said, yeah, we had to let Joe and Matt go because they both just got extremely fatigued at the same exact time. I'm like, buy-in, dog. And now all of a sudden, he's out of a job, too. So it's funny how all that works. But there you go. That's your little uh, soap opera drama for the behind the scenes of the network stuff. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. I got to ask then one other person. I, I want to know, know what you think. Les Stroud, the Survivor Man. Yep, yep. Love Les. Love Les. Um, now, here's my opinion. Okay, um, I've done a lot of survivaling, and I'm here to tell you, you don't walk up to the top of a mountain, place a camera up there, walk down the mountain, walk a long shot in the distance, then walk back up that mountain and walk back down that mountain just off of eating one grasshopper and one piece of <laughs> Okay, so it would suggest there might be some supplementing going on to offset the camera work. However, what I do love about him is he he's another guy like myself, like Cody. He lives it. He believes it. He does it. He knows it. He's good at it. It's a way of life for him. And uh, I think he's basically a, you know, a good person. And those are like the credit credentials that I look for. Do you got the skills? And are you because when you're when you're on the TV, the, you know, people look up to you like that. So it's like. It's just like in the old days when, you know, you used to have an athlete. Um, we used to select our athletes based on being good role models. Now they're like ghetto thugs with tattoos and everything because they make millions of dollars. They don't care about their role model status. People just want them to make the money and be the, be the idol. So what I love about Les is that he's real. He, he's sincere. He's authentic. Now, his survival style is a lot different than mine because I'm going to club some shit on the head and eat it. Okay. And he's going to be like, oh, this nice little rabbit. Let's try to just let's let's try to eat some leaves and let it live. And I'm like, that's great. That's, yeah, but he's a Canuck, man. So, you know, you got to appreciate that, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I like Les. Short answer. He did a, a another version of his show, Les Stroud, or something with trying to find Bigfoot, the investigation of Bigfoot. Did you see that at all? No, he took a lot of spanking on his credibility for that one. <laughs> he should have. <laughs> I like I like the Bigfoot stuff. I do watch that, but I'm along the lines that I'm pretty sure we would have saw something by now. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and um, believe me, man, I, I've had people approach me about doing um, intelligent versions of that show. Uh-huh. Um, not the dumbass thing that's been on for what, like six seasons now? Oh, Bigfoot! It's like, oh, hear that? It's like, no, dude, that's my gas. Sorry. <laughs> they have they have comical stuff. You know, I I used to watch a lot of the paranormal shows because I like that stuff too. And yeah. but then you would have eventually after four or five seasons, one of the guys would come out and go, "It started out pure. 
it started out what we want to do, but then the production team's like, no, you guys just aren't finding enough, so you got to go back and create some stuff, you know? Then it started being more of that, did you hear that? Did you hear that? But nothing, nobody ever seen anything, and it looked like they just added it after the fact. Man, all the time. So, you know, and that's why they call it production, fellas. Somebody is producing some reality in there. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I, at this day and age, to do the kind of things that you do and have access to things like YouTube, you don't need the major networks anymore. They don't play as big a role. You have people have bigger shows on YouTube that are even on the networks. And um, yeah, I'm loving it. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It's it's a double edged sword. Okay. Because right now my favorite hero boy is stalking me, um, which makes it life a bit of a nightmare. But you know that's an aside. Um, the about the the technology is that it is giving the power to the people. So you're absolutely right. If, if it's wielded properly, it makes it so that an individual can compete with that corporate conglomeration you know um and and i love that fact i mean i mean is that something that given the fact that as you said you were blackballed from basically television in general have you ever thought about doing something like that with youtube well you got your own youtube channel now right you know i mean because some of these guys have like i mean they get paid quite well to do some of these some of these shows on youtube yeah well here's the thing okay i'm i'm one of those guys uh i don't like to reinvent the wheel okay Mm -hmm. so i'm looking to get out there and say yeah pay me and i'll do you know product reviews or yeah i'll show some demonstrations of stuff um i've got i'm a really crazy good idea guy and i've got some really crazy good ideas and so once i get clear of this fight with this uh behemoth discovery that i'm fighting right now i'm like david fighting goliath um and it's believe me it's a life sucker it's like guys i am never going to quit i'm speaking the truth and you 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 know they just don't understand i might be a little teeny chihuahua up against a giant grizzly bear but i will gnaw the flesh off them nibble by nibble until there's nothing <laughs> but bones left so uh, once, I'm, once i'm clear of my fight i absolutely got some really cool things that i, I want to make for uh for YouTube and, and independent production, yes. Excellent. I mean, it's it's a shame that your show with your wife's not anymore. I really enjoyed the dynamic. I thought it was kind of funny at times because it just had, you, you know, some of the stuff your wife would say sometimes, you'd have that look on your face like you'd almost shake your head but just keep your mouth shut because it's easier. That's kind of the, the comedic part of it. I understand maybe they produced it that way, but I, I thought it was kind of... Well, that's a, what I was saying. What, what a lot of people don't get is like, you know, I mean, Ruth and I are really married. We've been married 10 years. We've got a 10-year-old boy, you know, mm-hmm. um, our parents are coming to visit us tomorrow from the UK. How we are on, on the show is how we are in life. That's just who we are, you know. So we don't get it because, you know, whenever our friends are around, they're always laughing and we don't get it because that's just how we are. You know, it's kind of a like a love and a respect, but also, uh, you know, I, eh, I don't want to use the word bicker, but, you know, constant challenging of, of each other. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I liked, <laughs> what I kind of liked about it was specifically there was this one episode where um you guys were in a boat and you were getting seasick and <laughs> she was oh. telling you a couple of things say it wasn't all about what you know all these fantastic things that you can that you can do and you could climb this tree you can do this you can swim here you can you know blah 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 but there was that that point where wow Mr. Hulk here is 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 actually not invincible he 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 can succumb to seasickness <laughs> hey, 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 hey. all right you Oh, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> you, know, this, cause you guys are getting like the scoop, you know, and that's because I know what you do in your day jobs. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, basically, you know, one of the things like I, I'm a teacher and I, and I like to, I find the best way for people to learn is if you can show them things in a new way that makes sense. And if it makes sense, they get it right away and it sticks with them forever. So um, a lot of things that we did with Man, Woman, Wild had never been done before. For example, 
um, we filmed uh, an episode in a cave and they said, oh, you know, you got to get in the cave and get out of the cave before the first commercial break because people get bored. And I'm like, bullshit. I bet I can spend half an episode in a cave teaching survival things that people can use. And we did. And they were like, holy shit, that's never been done. Um, another thing we did was the uh, fire episode. Uh, man, that was crazy. We risked our life, but you know, we took a calculated risk. So I spoke to three different fire departments, the feds, the military, and the civilian guys, and we created that fire shelter. And we really did have a fire blow over top of us while we were in that shelter. And we didn't know if we were going to make it or not. Um, and you know, but we did it. And so we did all these things that nobody said could be done. Like the, the, the earthquake one, I mean, not earth, yeah, the, the volcano one, man, we went into uh, an, a part of an island that was an active volcano where the guy said, look, we can't be responsible for you. If that thing blows, you got 30 seconds before you're dead. And, and we said, OK, we'll take the chance. And we went in there and we did it. And so the same thing back to your boat thing. Um, they said no one's ever filmed an episode where you stayed at sea the whole time. And I said, by God, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to start in the water. We're going to end in the water, period. And so um, that's what we did. And we did it. Now, what I didn't know, OK, was, uh, you know, we had a tarp on the boat and I'd set the tarp up and it was great. And so we had protection from the sun. But the camera was in the boat next to us. And so as we're bobbing up and down, the guy said, look, man, it's so bright out here and so dark under there. I, I, I can't film this. You've got to take the tarp off. So in order to make the show, we had to take the tarp off. And in taking the tarp off, Hawk Daddy got cooked. <laughs> so I was going down for real. I mean, literally, I was delirious. I was slurring words. Um, I was staggering. Um, the medic wanted to call it. Ruth wanted to call it. And I, I remember that dirty ass water up in the front. I knew we couldn't drink it. Uh, we didn't have anything to clean it and, you know, uh, couldn't boil it. So I said, hey, man, let's use it for that. And that's what we did. And that that pulled me together enough to see it through the episode. He makes me feel like, you know, because I, I take the dog out for a walk and I go on like these little nature trails and I come back to the house and I just feel like I'm so I'm so fucking awesome, you know, because I climbed oh, a few rocks. You I took know? my dog I mean, for a walk on our trail, and I'm thinking, "Woo, that was some heavy wow, I'm shit. badass. This- <laughs> I know, right? I moved a stick from the trail. I'm yeah. so cool. <laughs> and then you got this dude talking about all these crazy things. It makes me feel like such less of a man. Speaking for myself, I was a Boy Scout part-time when I was a kid because everybody joined the Scouts around summertime uh, for the camping and then quit after summer. <laughs> so Start earning merit badges and stuff. Yeah, she must go clean up the school grounds. Uh, no, I'll skip that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm uh, good. When do we start camping again? <laughs> I did a little prep here. I did some background check, and I saw that you you have some knives that you're you're promoting. And I, what I liked about some of the demonstrations, I mean, you really you really get deep in the explanation of what the features of some of these knives are. Like there was one. I'm trying to. Am I, th- am I saying it right? Like a paring knife or a ping knife or uh, it can be. You said it had the two holes that you can tie it into and use it as a spear, but yeah, also use it like a weapon. Yeah. Pink foo I mean a peregrine. Yes, me. that yeah. one. No, guys, listen. The cool thing is, it, like I said, I don't like to reinvent the wheel. So if I can't make a contribution, make something better, then I don't mess with it. So all of those things are just things that I've studied over the years. And I said, okay, if I had this and I could do that. And because of the technology, I mean, the machining that we can do these days, the laser cutting that we can do allows us to do more things than our, our ancestors could. So I take that knowledge and, and that technology and I put it to work and, and make it do something more. And I'm all about, I mean, we're Green Berets. We're not SEALs, okay? Just so you know, like the Navy SEALs, when they go on a deployment, dude, 
They go, each guy has like his own, you know, commercial airliner with his own stock refrigerator, his own personal gym and assistant. And they're like, you know, go deploy and kick down some doors and come on back and take some photos. You know, for us, they're like, guys, here's a rubber band. We're going to chuck you out of the plane over uh, this jungle. We'll see you in 10 years, go win the war. So we're all about, you know, making, getting the most out of things and making it do as many things as possible. So yeah, whenever I design something, I try to make it do as much for survival survivor as possible because Dude, if you're out there and that's all you got, man, you got to get every little scrap, an inch of that thing, uh, get some use out of it, you know? Sure. I've I've noticed, just like you brought up the whole uh, Navy SEAL thing, I've noticed it seems like whenever somebody military comes out public with their career and somebody else, it's a real pressure point for a lot of people because if you lie, you're you're pissing on other people's reputations or, or, or what they know to be the truth. And it really, it really ticks them off. The stolen ballot a lot of people don't get is that this is like the longest war we've been in. Okay, we've been in what, war, 16 years now? Mm-hmm. And it's the first time in history that special operations has been the primary tool for fighting it and the combination of all this technology we've been talking about. So now we're at a unique place in human history where we're fighting these unconventional wars with a special operations tool and we got all this media uh, attention on it. And so now... And, and we got all the support from the people. So regardless of your politics, everybody supports the troops. And so at the end of the day, it's like, you know, everybody these days is an operator, man. You grow a beard and put on a big watch, dude. You're a badass, right? <laughs> so uh, so it, it's it's funny to me. If, if you want to be something, just go be it. And if you fail, at least you tried. But and if you didn't do something, just don't say you did it. It's pretty simple. But I think a lot of people get tempted or they think they could get away with it and Again, back to the technology, you can't say or do shit anymore without getting busted. You know, it's like, hey, guys, guess what? I can research this now. You know, back in the 70s, you couldn't do that. You know, no, you could get away. It's how everybody bloats up their resumes, too, and you know, yep. eventually get called out. So yep. I want to throw out there real quick. Our episode will be on thestatementshow.com. Michael Hawk's website, if I'm saying your first name right, is uh, michaelhawk.com. Of course, you can Google him and come up with all of his sites. That's the easiest way, in my opinion, because people have spelling issues. Google fixes all that for you. But he's also <laughs> on Facebook. He's on Instagram. Uh, he's on Twitter at Michael Hawk. Um, and of course, he's got a YouTube channel. I mean, just Google his name. You get everything. But I just yeah. wanted to throw that out there real quick. But I appreciate it, fellas. I'm not real big on plugging my stuff. It's like, you know, people find it if they want it. You know, like you said, it's all out there for a good show. That show is all about movement. It's all about eating gross shit and doing dangerous stuff. So from your days of being in the military, you know, and, and you're looking at today's military and, and, you know, I, I speak to a lot of people that are, that are either reserves right now or just recently, uh, out of the military and they say how they did their boot camps, how, how their style of military was one way versus the way it was 20 years ago. And, and, and I'm hearing these things like, I don't know if this is true because I'm not in the know and maybe you know. Is there truth to this? Like when they're in boot camp, like they have these little stress cards now that they're pulling that. <laughs> is this true? Yes. Yeah, oh my Jesus. Hey, you know, they can't curse at him. They can't touch him anymore. Like how the, how the hell does, does a badass like yourself feel about this? I mean, are, are you, are you accepting to the way things have changed now that it's a different type of military? Well, no, 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 guys. Cause listen, here, here, here's my thing. Okay. Like I, I don't believe that. You know, special ops guys are any better than anybody else. I've seen crappy special ops guys. I've seen amazing regular military guys. I've seen crappy military guys and amazing civilian guys. So I'm one of those people that believes that you are what you decide to be. And that's it. 
So I don't judge by rank or skill or score, or, you know, status or anything. So and the other thing is, you know, I remember when I was younger, the old timers said, yeah, you guys got it. Easy. We used to run, you know, with shoes filled with cactus needles. And I'm like, oh, OK, <laughs> you know, and so the way I look like this, when I hear like people talking about young kids and how, you know, they're getting soft and all, maybe, maybe so. You know, and I said, yeah, they got their their Game Boys and their Xboxes and all that kind of stuff. But I said, I dare you by God to come try and take it because they will still kick your ass as much today as they would have 50 years ago. So I have faith the next generation, while different, they also come with different skills and different solutions, and they will find a way and they will. There's always 10% that are sluggos, and there's always 10% that are the avant-garde. And so uh, I have faith in the next generation. I don't beat them up none. Um, yeah, it's different, but so are the times. And I, I believe that the the good ones will rise to the challenge, and I keep faith in that. I appreciate. I appreciate my fa- my father's military service in Vietnam. I appreciate mm-hmm. my brother's military service. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it, and it wasn't for me. I personally didn't go into the military, but my dad, my brother, and my relatives, my my uncle who was also in Vietnam, they fought, so we didn't have to do that. Absolutely. So, yeah. and I appreciate anybody who who does that. And I think there's a lot put out there, and people go over and they're fighting a war in another country, and people don't think about it here because you know we got it easy. We got it. We we don't really think about it because it's been going on for so long. All you ever hear is how they don't want us there. They don't want us there. But I've heard plenty of people tell me that. That's not the version they're hearing when they're there. No, you're right, man. I mean, so. it's, it's like this. Um, you know, it, it's like when when a fellow says, I love you to his lady. Sometimes you say, because, you know, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to because I just like broke something. And, you know, and then there's mm-hmm. times when, you know, you like you just, hey, baby, I love you. And then there's sometimes like, baby, I really love you. So it's it's really all the intent. And sometimes you have more intent than others. But I think most people do mean it to some degree or not. Mm-hmm. The, the cool thing is that we're living in a time when people do appreciate it in general um, and, and, and openly acknowledge it. So that I think all vets appreciate that. And, you know, just you know, some vets are, you know, doing a little bit more than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it's cool. And I always tell people, it's like, look, for me, like the people do like regular everyday jobs, keep America doing. I mean, we're soldiers, but we're like a small percentage. We only do what we do so that the 99% can keep the world running. You know, it's the guys who build cars and build buildings and make computers and fix people. I mean, those are the things that make countries grow. So it takes everybody. And that's that's the big thing. So when people say thanks for your service, I'm like, man, thanks. Thanks for yours. Well, society, you're doing something, you know, not only that, but there's something that I don't think that gets brought up enough from our vets. I know you're big into it. I know that obviously I am, too. And and that's the PTSD. I don't I don't think people know enough about it. I don't think people talk enough about it. And someone like yourself, who who obviously has been around this, you probably know a lot of people, maybe even yourself. What what is what is PTSD, and and can you speak about that any? Sure, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like anything. You ask somebody what's love, you're going to get a million different definitions. Mm-hmm. Ask somebody what's PTSD. Uh, t- to me, whatever name you give it, shell shock, you know, uh, combat trauma, whatever. It's it's really when something happens in your experience affects you so powerfully emotionally that it causes you to do things differently than you would have otherwise. So for some people, I mean, I I know every time I come back from downrange, you know, you hear some loud noises, you're pretty, you know, amped up and, you know, uh, ready to respond pretty quick. Hell, 
man, I think just yesterday, as a matter of fact, my son snuck up on me, almost broke his arm. It's like, dude, please. And his mom's briefed him like, don't sneak up on daddy. And I can't help it. I don't want to hurt him. But it's it's one of those things where, you know, I'm an older guy. So I had a lot more preparation. I think special ops guys get a little more prep than regular guys. So they're a little bit better prepared to handle it. And so they when they come back, they handle a little bit better. But I mean, it just depends on your deployment. I mean, my, my little brother, he's been blown up by IEDs three different times, twice guys in the vehicle with him died, got their heads ripped off and he lived. You know, it's one of those things that really just depends on what happens to you on your tour of duty. You know, I've, I've had guys die in my, die in my arms and, 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 and it, it stays with you. And, and sometimes you're better ready to handle it than others. But at, at the end of the day, it, it's a real thing. It's an emotional thing. And, and I've got a way of looking at it and it, I've not read anything that speaks to this, so it's just my damn dumb opinion. Um, but I, I believe that the really stupid people, you know, and I and I don't mean to offend, but uh, yeah, I'm not worried if I offend stupid people. <laughs> but there are dumb people that think, yeah, I kill people, and I'm good with it, and, and that's it. That's all mm. that they think, and it's like, wow, man, you don't fully appreciate the gravity of that you've changed lives, taking fathers and sons, and you know, brothers, and and then you've got. Um, the really smart people who I think are able to make sense of the death and the killing that kind of find a way to navigate through it uh, and, and rationalize it so they can try to you know be semi-normal. And then I think most normal people, when you do stuff or you see stuff and it hurts you, it stays with you and it just takes time. It just takes time to heal, you know. Uh, and, and I think that's the biggest thing is, is talking about it, embracing it, accepting it, identifying it, trying to make sense of it and try to pack it away. It'll never go away. It's a part of your existence. It'll always be there, but you know, life does move on. And, and so that's what I try to tell guys. And, and a big thing is love, friends, family. That's the big thing that gets you through. Just remember why you're here and the people that you lost. If you can live your life well, like you ever see private Ryan saving private Ryan mm-hmm. at the end. I mean, the beginning and the end, the same thing. He's just like, did I live a good life it was i a good man if you can do that with your life for your buddy that died for you then you're living well for both of you and what i do is every morning before i get up I get, my list gets longer every damn year um but i i say the names of all the guys that died that i cared about so they still live on every day wow. and i start my day like that and that's how i keep them alive so that's yeah. my it's funny you mentioned savior private Ryan. i was going to ask you do you have any favorite military movies that you feel are the most accurate as far as situational would you say saving private ryan band of brothers uh really really good ones man i'll tell you american uh, sniper that, <laughs> <laughs> i <laughs> you guys know i was i was actually good friends with chris kyle oh really were you really i believe i have the last email he ever wrote four hours before he was killed wow no i did not know that chris kyle and i were getting ready to go into business together and his wife had actually thanked me for hooking up with him because you know a lot of people don't know he got kind of done wrong by that uh, company um the craft was his business and it, and I don't know how much of this is, is personal, so I don't want to reveal too much. But basically, Chris was going to be the, the next co-host with me on uh, Elite Tactical Unit for Outdoor Channel. And uh, he and I became close because, um, you know, we, we met SHOT Show and he was telling some war stories. And I just looked him in the eye and I said, dude, that was fucked up. I said, you probably got a lot more Americans killed because of what you did. And everybody thought he was going to reach over and choke me out. And I was ready for it. But, you know, I speak my mind. 
And uh, he said, man, you're right. I needed to hear that. And so he, he and I started talking. Everybody said, man, you know, he respects you. And because I told him, it's like, dude, you've got PTSD. I fucking had it when I came back from Sierra Leone. I know what it is. Um, and, and you got to manage that. You got to work on that. And, and he said, you're right. And so that's how we began a friendship. So, yeah. Um, so when I saw the movie American Sniper, it had a lot of different meaning for me than I think some other folks. But, uh, you know, on the whole, I, I thought it was a well done rendition of a version of a story. You know, mm-hmm. got to remember whenever Hollywood gets a hold of something, guys, there's there's always going to be a little bit of um, flavor and color. added. Sure. I would like to say they have to do that or else people won't really, you know, like you said, documentary style movies don't do as well. They got to do a little bit. of, And they say based on true facts, they don't it, they're not accuracy is not 100 percent. But I do like Clint Eastwood's movies. Um and I believe- oh my god, it's gotten so good lately, man. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to watch a Clint movie, he's going to break you up, man. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. okay, because he was one of my favorite actors. I liked watching his favorite movie of mine is The Outlaw, Josie Wales, of course. Of but, course, yeah, 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 classic. Yes, but uh, he does a great job with his directing style, and and I love great movies. You know, my some of my favorite series of are um like the Born the Born movies, but you know those are all BS, and you know maybe half of it, but uh. <laughs> They're, they're they're entertaining to watch, and I like those movies. But you know, uh, military movies. I love Saving Private Ryan. I love um, the Band of Brothers in the Pacific, and I you can never know what those people were like. But at least it gives you a glimpse of what maybe they had to go through back then. And sure. and people don't think about that right now. So, but well, for me, some of the movies, you know, since you ask um, that I like because they're more along my experience, which are the unconventional movies. So, um, like I love the big blockbusters like Pearl Harbor. I mean, come on, you know, that's just, you know, the greatest generation right there, you know? And so saving private Ryan came along with that. Um, but then the movies that are uh, oddball, like a lot of people don't know farewell to the King. Yeah, I don't. Okay. Um, dude, that's a classic guerrilla warfare movie. Uh, the man who would be King. Uh, another classic guerrilla warfare movie. Um, a really exceptional uh, guerrilla warfare movie is uh, actually uh, The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Oh, you know, that's ironic. I was just going through some of the titles last night telling my wife, because um, I believe that's on Netflix, and I pointed out to her, I said, that is a great movie. And she kind of looked mm-hmm. at me like, a, Tom, a samurai movie with Tom Cruise? I was like, you have to watch it. It's not yeah. what you think. But and and, and it, he does capture what it's like for us Green Berets. We, I mean, we learn the language, the custom, the culture. We live with these people. We eat like they do. We dress like they do. And we become close with them. And then we see our nation often kind of uh, takes advantage of that. And you're the face to these people of the nation. And, and there's a vexation that comes with that, that split love and loyalty. So I thought it was a brilliant movie in that respect. And then there's other movies that, uh, you know, of course, Apocalypse Now. Um, um, Martin Sheen. Secrets. Secrets. Check it out. You don't realize that actually uh, in Apocalypse Now, um, they sent a ranger to kill Colonel Kurtz because they had sent a Green Beret. Green Beret got there, said, shit, man, what you're doing is right. And he joined his cause. So they had to get a guy that was going to follow the orders and complete the mission. And uh, then you watch other movies like uh, The Deer Hunter. Okay? That's a hard so, movie to watch. <laughs> and, well, a lot of people don't realize that those three characters define the difference between special forces, airborne, and regular troops. You know, the guy that um, you know went crazy, Christopher Walken, he was like the airborne, you know, or the ranger guys, you know, tough, but, you know, a um, little bit different minded. The other guy... 
you know, he wasn't prepared for the craziness. So he snapped and, uh, you know, and got all depressed and just didn't know how to handle it. And of course, De Niro was the Green Beret, man. He was on it. He stayed sharp, kept clear through. And so for me, I really love that movie because that to me personifies you know, the difference of variation of the type of soldier. Those guys would have been great in other environments, but in that environment, that was the Green Beret environment. So those are the kind of movies I really dig. Well, one of my other favorites uh, is Black Hawk Down. Have you, do you like that movie at all? No, no. I don't. Okay. <laughs> well, this bike, I, okay. And this, a lot of people don't know this about me. Um, I was in Sierra Leone during the fall of Freetown, um, 98, 99. So I was like the last white boy in there. And, uh, we were doing evacuation of all the people before the rebels took the town. And uh, up until that point, the most I almost died in one day was three times. And in that day, I almost died five times. It was a pretty ridiculous day. And so uh, what bothered me about Black Hawk Down, because I was, I think I was in Azerbaijan when those guys were in Somalia. Um, but what bothered me about Black Hawk Down, and I know some of the guys from that, and I'm not dissing anyone. Everybody who was there performed, you know, honorably and, and, and very bravely. But it was the audacity as white folk to think that they were just going to land in the middle of this place in the middle of the day and that, you know, do what they want to do. It's like, guys, <laughs> you're outnumbered and they can see you and they're going to shoot you. And that's kind of. So I felt like that could have been avoided. It was just kind of a bad call, but you know, they Well, wasn't did it great. true? Wasn't it true that they did want to take heavier armament in with them, but they weren't allowed to? Uh yeah, I don't know all the details and you know, and that's and that's not my conflict, so I kind of leave it at that. But I I just know that, hey man, I wouldn't have rolled in there like they did. Um and and it, and that that's it. But what bothered me more about Somalia than anything was when the president decided, okay, let's just pull pitch and run away. And now, look, we've left that country in shit ever since. What we should have done was sent in a large military force, crushed them into the dirt, and then got them back up on their feet and said, OK, now let's, let's start over. You know, But as soon as they figure out, oh, man, you kill a couple Americans and they run away, well, guess what? We'll be fighting that same war over and over and over. And that's what I tell people in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's like, guys, we've got to finish the job. We've got to finish it well so that history will write us down as the good guys. If we leave it better than what it was. We will win. If we leave it messed up, we're going to keep fighting that war over and over again for the next couple of decades. I don't want to make this into a big political show, but do you think our president, <laughs> current president, is going to do that? Really? Okay. All right. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> told you we're not in a big time crunch. <laughs> I'm just going to lay it down. I think Trump is a chump, and I think Hillary was a crook. Mm -hmm. There was no way I was going to vote for her after Benghazi. Okay. And, and, and I think a lot of Americans voted for... Trump just because they were so against Hillary. But personally, I think the man is a fool and an idiot. Okay. Um, but he's the president. And so I'm going to give him respect and I'm going to give him time and space. And I pray that he does well because at the end of the day, man, we're all in the boat together. I don't care what your politics are. If the boat don't float, guess what? We all sink. So I hope he does well. I can't say that I've agreed with hardly anything I've seen so far. I'm kind of in the opinion of what you were saying. I, I didn't like, I don't like Hillary. I didn't like her. Right. And I don't like the idea of saying, well, it's the first woman president and we have to elect a woman just for the sake of electing a woman. I just, if you would have put somebody, anybody else up there, I think I would have liked them better. Even Sanders, you know, I think if, if, if it had been Bernie Sanders versus I Donald think he'd Trump, be in that seat right now. Been, right, right. Sure. Exactly. And, and here's the thing, guys, like, you know, I voted for a woman. I didn't vote for either one of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. and I, it's like, I don't care about your genitalia. I care about your politics. Mm -hmm. And last election, 
I voted for a black man, but it wasn't Obama, you know, because I don't care about your skin color. I care right. about your politics. Okay. Right. So, uh, so I just put it out there. I didn't vote for either one of them. Um, I, I don't feel real great about it. Um, but I'm going to give faith and hope that he can do something proper. Well, yeah. at this point, what other choice do we have? You either back, you got to back the man who First calls bus, the place. You just said it. You, you got a gun to your head. What are you going to do? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there was a question when we were talking about the movies and stuff, but there's a TV show out that my wife and I watch um, called Alone. I don't know if you've ever watched it or not, of but course. yeah, 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 yeah. Do I, you like it? I do indeed. I, really, I do too. You know, because it's it's proper. They get people who actually. I know the guys who uh, train those guys and make mm-hmm. sure that they have the skills to actually do it. They're Matter of fact, they're my SAS medic buddies um, who do that, and um, and I know some of the guys who have have prevailed on there, and and I like the fact that they get legitimate people and they do legitimate stuff, and I'm, they're going out there. Here's the thing, guys: there's a camera crew coming out every single day to make sure you're alive and pick up footage that you've taken because they don't want you to die and lose the footage, right? <laughs> so, I mean, show. So it's kind of like if I'm seeing a human being every day, I don't think. It's going to bother me. Somebody did. This is funny. I like this show. Somebody wrote on my page just two or three days ago. They said, oh, man, I would love to see, you know, uh, Mike on um, on alone and go out there and like, you know, next thing I you agree. know, it's, everybody's tied up and Mike's got all their stuff. And <laughs> and um, I'm like, well, that's one version. I said, I would better I would rather see it like this. I get on the show alone. And next thing you know, within a couple of months, you know, I've got a Taj Mahal of survival and everybody's sitting down at my table for a banquet. How about that? And like that. Dude, man, and so we're going to give it to you just because you're better. So Let's like be I realistic. said, uh, like I said, uh, you're definitely the guy I want if a zombie right. apocalypse goes down. <laughs> so you're saying no doubt about it. You're winning. If you get on that show, you're winning. No doubt about it. Right. Brother, you know, I'm there for the next 50 years. You know, <laughs> I can see wow. You, you really think that? you're around 50 more years? <laughs> 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 so, yeah, well, I'll be healthy see. so what uh what's to stop you from doing some of the things like uh i don't know do you know who dale die is yeah 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 um have dale you met him? I, uh not met him we it was very funny i started um a medical business back in 93 working in war zones and that was real intense so i started a tourism business um and that's kind of where mtv road rules found me down in costa rica teaching survival to kids in uh, 1998 and so when i first got started in the tourism business um Dale Dyke called me up and he said, Hey man, I saw your, your company. I, I like what you're doing. I appreciate it. I just want to give you a, you know, and he told me who he was. I'm like, yeah, man, it's awesome. You know? And so he gave me some pointers and tidbits. And so we've been on friendly terms ever since then, but Dale is a, a Marine. He's like me. He was a former enlisted who became an officer, but Dale hates green berets. <laughs> okay. You know, so, but I do know Dale and I got nothing but mad respect for him. And I really appreciate what he's done uh, with, with the military and the media. He does all, he, he kind of like, he's like the advisor for all these in the movies and kind of gets them all to work together and tries to keep it as true as he can um, to the facts or to like the style anyway, which I kind of like. He's also in the Band of Brothers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Um, no, he's awesome guy all the way around. But, but here's the thing, like, he lives there. See, I can't go live in L.A., man. And people are too plastic for me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. I don't think I could do it either. Uh, I think it's the land of smog and not the ma- land of magic like people think it is. I know a few people that have been there and they're there now and have told me it's not what you think. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, everybody there is an actor, an actor wannabe. So, 
I hate to say it like this because it sounds crass, but man, basically surrounded by a bunch of liars, and they're very good at it. The illusion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. So uh, <laughs> we're going to be sued by the Discovery Channel, and everybody wants to be an actor. <laughs> See, Uncle Mike. Yeah. So I got everybody suing me. Come on down. Yeah, there you go. So MichaelHawk.com. He's on Facebook. You can get him on Google and, and find out uh, his other websites. He's at Twitter at uh, MichaelHawk. And, of course, uh, we're on Facebook. We're going to like you on Facebook. So if everybody wants to find you, they can go through ours or go through our website at The Statement Show, where we're going to have links to all your all to your pages there as well. So everybody can find your information off of our website at thestatementshow.com. I just wanted to throw that out there real quick because you don't like to pump your own stuff, so I'm going to pump it for you. I appreciate it. Just tell them to be sure to go to michaelhawk.com slash sue me here. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I like I like the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash hawkshooch. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. Because when I first got started in that stuff, man, I don't, I don't like social media so much. And obviously, it's got me a world of shit. But uh, you know, the the what I like about it though is I've been able to connect with friends from all over the world, you know, that I haven't spoken to in years, and that's pretty cool. So I give them credit for that. But it's 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 got its pros and cons. I'm sure everybody's found out about that. So, but yeah, when I first got started, it was a fan page because I didn't know what else to name it, and I was like, I don't like that fan page thing. So I changed it to Hawks Hooch. He's like, come on down here, I'll share stuff if you dig it. You know, hang around if you don't. Carry your ass. I don't care. If would people be surprised if they went onto your page and went on to like make comments that you that it's actually you getting back to them and not some publicist? Right. I don't know what people think. It's it's like you know I I tell people all the time. It's like I'm a hands on guy. If a human being takes the time to reach out to me and say something, I'm I feel it's respectful. It's only right thing to do to respond back. So I try to do as much as I can myself, and I don't even mind people having a disagreeing opinion as long as you're not an asshole. It's like yeah, man, let's talk. You know. Maybe I can learn something. And, you know, I, I can say this, you know, we'll, we'll give uh, our listeners kind of a little bit of a background here. We've been we were in touch with you, you know, quite a few times back and forth before our interview. Let me tell you something, guys. Every time we spoke to you, your emails were so precise, even leading up to what was it, Zach, about 30 minutes before yeah, we got calm on. check. It, and I'm like, calm Damn. check. <laughs> and it's like, I love this man. This guy is prompt. You you can tell that you're still you've got that military mentality. I love it, man. I, I just I feel bad for your son, though, because I don't think he's probably going to get away with two. Is a son, right? Or daughter? Son? No, I got three boys. and then Three a, boys. A grandson and a granddaughter. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get they, away with anything. Do they have to, I mean, do they have to make it so they can bounce a quarter off the bed every morning? Or? <laughs> no. If they get away with so much, because, you know, I just love him, sweet on him. So. But yeah. I, I, I act mean, but they know. No oh, PT sure. in the morning? <laughs> uh, 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 sometimes. Sometimes. Pretty <laughs> relaxed. And and that's all thanks to Ruth mostly because man she'll tell you when she got a hold of me I was I was definitely uh, uh wound too tight I was mm -hmm. like I just came with two years of combat you know so okay give me a break but yeah she civilized me a lot and I'm I'm pretty happy about everything so oh I'm sure I think every man has a white uh, a woman behind him telling him to calm down with the attitude <laughs> and you know try to take a fresh perspective I get you know I don't have combat or any of that but I still get I still get mad like anybody else and I sometimes I take it too far and. My wife would say, you need to calm down. I, I, I do the same thing. I think any any man doesn't. And that's why you need a good woman behind you. And I know I have one. And it sounds like you've got oh, one. I too. know I do. Definitely. But you know, the thing is, guys, it's it's like I tell people all the time. It's like, you you know, the whole thing about relationship is balance. You find someone who's the opposite of you, who compliments you and makes you better, you know. And oh, that's really, really 
secrets. It's true. You, you definitely got to find the balance. You know, she makes up for areas that I don't do well in. And I watch a lot of goofy programming and she doesn't like, but there's a lot of things we watch together, which obviously, like I told you, the show that with you and your wife was kind of a thing we watched together. That's why I'm kind of mad that it's not on anymore. But we watch that one together all the time. So interesting tidbit, guys, because we we're talking about movies. We kind of went off on that little tangent. Sure. George Clooney played a Green Beret three times. OK, in films, The Men Who Stare at Goats. True story, the peacemaker, and of course, three kings. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, um, you know, he's from Kentucky. I'm from Kentucky, and we've got a, a special forces unit there. Fifth group is uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And I think he must have some special forces friends because I got to tell you guys, he nails the epitome of what Green Beret dudes are all about. I love wow. that. All right. So, so everybody give those a watch. We'll see. Absolutely. All right. Okay, guys. So just keep an eye on your uh, you know, six while you're doing your day jobs. And uh, <laughs> All right, Thanks, man. babe. We appreciate you being on the show. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. Okay, you guys. Take good care now. You too, man. <laughs> I, what do you think, man? I mean, <laughs> wow. And I want to say one more oh. time, michaelhawk.com. You can go to our website at thestatementshow.com, and we're, I'm going to have links up for his show. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, amazing. I never, I, in a million years, Ooh. I never would have thought, mm -hmm. talked about everything. I, and there were still more questions I could have had. I could have, I could have talked to him for another hour. So, Zach, I'm sitting here in my queue of questions right now with probably this is no lie, five different questions that I still want to talk. I wanted to ask him, and it just he just entrenches you with everything man i love that guy oh my goodness he's so good we didn't even get into his books his charities the fact that he's you know in judo and all the other things that he's got going on i mean I, i'm flabbergasted like i said before i appreciate his military service just like i appreciate my brothers and i appreciate my mm -hmm. fathers and my uncles mm -hmm. and um absolutely i'm glad there's guys out there like him again like i said all of his information will be on our website at thestatementshow.com. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be pumping that through uh, our Twitter, at Statement Show. Uh, again, thestatementshow.com website, Facebook, Zach's cranking it out on Facebook, uh, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, YouTube. Am I missing anything, Zach? No, I think we're up there. I mean, you're really pumping it out on YouTube, so. We're trying, man. Keep it up we're trying. It anyway, so. Absolutely. Again, Michael Hawk. You're listening to The Statement Show, and the lights are out. See ya. Yeah, I'm usually pretty clean on that kind of stuff. I just talk about, you know, the extreme ideas, like, you know, eating people and what the best body parts and that stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. So send the fucking medic now. I appreciate it. Just tell them to be sure to go to michaelhawk.com slash sue me here. I'm just going <laughs> to lay it down. I think Trump is a chump, and I think Hillary was a crook. If you got a producer card in, in L.A., you don't even have to talk, man. The girls will just throw your panties at you. We're going to be sued <laughs> by the Discovery Channel, and everybody wants to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Mike. Yeah. So <laughs> I got everybody suing me. Come on down. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Brother, you know, I'm there for the next 50 years. You know. <laughs> wow, you, you really think that? you're around 50 more years? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>